Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 346 of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Challenge Blind, an interview with guest Kendall Darnell. My name is Heather Goldbeck. And I'm Matt Sabatello. And once again, we had the perfect combination of a guest and our special guest co-host. In the words of Kendall, she made a new best friend out of Heather. This is an inspiring episode where Kendall goes deep with us. I know she blew me away with her ability to be vulnerable and real about her journey through life and mine. After many years of being told that she was fine, despite the pain she was in, she finally receives a proper diagnosis and treatment plan that has created the healing she was searching for. And Heather, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce to our audience, the wonderful Kendall Darnell. Hey, Kendall Shepard Darnell, and welcome to our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know we've been scheduling this for quite a while, so I'm happy we could make it work. Well, we're really excited to have you on this podcast. We know you're going to be an awesome story to provide hope to all of our listeners. But we want to start by asking you, Kendall, a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Um, I grew up in Federal Way, Washington. It's Washington State, um, close to the Cascade Mountains and the Puget Sound and uh, just south of Seattle. Now, that's really foreign for me as a New Yorker because I've never traveled that far west. I am a very homebound individual. So uh, give us a little bit of idea what it's like out in Washington State, because I believe I was telling Heather offline, I think that's more of the northwestern United States, correct? Yes. Yep. So we are the most northwestern of the United States. I mean, if you don't count Alaska, of course. Um, And we're kind of... um, that can't, well, listeners can't see, but Washington is sort of shaped like this, like my hand. And then there's a little divot right there. And um, out here is not me, that's not on the coastline. This is the Puget Sound and I'm right here. So we've got the water, but it's protected. um, So we don't have the big waves per se. Um, So it's a nice, happy, happy sound, happy ocean. Um, very green on the western side of the state, not green on the eastern side. They are dry and desertish, and then we are wet and um, and green. Think of um, oh gosh, no, I can't even think of it. What's that vampire? Vampire Twilight. Twilight. Twilight was filmed in Washington, in Forks, Washington, um, and so it's just really. It's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Very green. And um, but what about ticks? Right. I mean, growing up, did were ticks a thing out there? Because here in New York, where we have a ton of ticks and it's really a problem, I didn't know about ticks or Lyme disease until I got sick. So is it the same in in Washington, or is it even less known than it is here in New York? Um, I mean, I I knew of them only because when we'd go hiking, my mom would say make sure you put on long pants and blah, blah, blah. And I was really annoyed by that because I don't want to wear long pants. I want to wear shorts and I want to go outside barefoot. And I would and do cartwheels in the grass barefoot. And my mom would yell at me to come in and put some shoes on or, you know, so I, I had heard the word ticks. I knew I was supposed to cover up because of ticks. And I just thought, well, I don't care. I mean, if there's a bug that lands on me, I'll flick it off. It doesn't matter to me. And so I guess I didn't pay much attention to it and didn't really understand the severity of it. Did you ever find a tick biting you growing up? Um, no, 
found, um, well, potentially the the ring, the bullseye, but um, you know, we didn't really know what that was. Um, I've never seen an active tick biting me. Um, I but think that, actually that's not I uncommon think... though, Kendall, because ticks are are stealthy, right? They they come on, they bite, and people don't know they have they have an antihistamine agent. They have an mm -hmm. they have so for anti itching. They have an anti clotting agent for your blood. I mean, so it's not uncommon that people get bit and don't even know it. But you had a bullseye potentially. But I think I interrupted you. You were going to say that did you maybe find a, oh, something that could have been I, a tick bite? No, I think um, I think our dog had ticks or something because I think I remember hearing something like that. Going, what are what is this bump? What are these bumps? And then, oh, ticks. And it was just kind of like oh, whatever. You know, not anything to be worried about. I don't even know if we did anything about it to be honest. But I, I think I remember that. Yeah, it's because you don't realize, you know, you don't realize how dangerous they can be until you're impacted by the bite of a tick, right? So was your was your childhood Kendall relatively normal? Were you a happy child? Were you an active child? And was there was health or illness impacted, you know, or part of your your childhood experience at all? Um, no, not really. No major health issues. I was um, bendy, flexible, and get injured here and there and then and, and be called overdramatic or whatever. Um, come to find out many years later, I do have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So it makes sense why, you know, I would say I heard a pop and everyone go, oh, you're fine. So um, there was a little bit of a mismatch there. And I think when everyone tells you you're fine and you feel like there's something going on, um, kind of teaches you to question yourself um, and maybe lack some of the confidence that other people have. So I, for the most part, was pretty happy-go-lucky, go-with-the-flow kind of kid. Um, got along with everybody, did my own thing. Uh, but I also second-guessed myself a lot. And that's normal, right? Because especially if you're saying that you're, you know, these things are popping, things are weird and you're being dismissed, you're going to have that sort of self-doubt because people are dismissing you. And I can't wait to get into the whole airless downloads discussion with you later on when we get to that part of your journey when you got that diagnosis, because that's really common in the Lyme community. And again, Heather and I were talking offline about that and the connection there between Lyme, which we're seeing a lot on this podcast. But, you know, Walk us through the transition. It sounds like you had a relatively normal childhood with the exception of, you know, being very flexible and bendy, which again is an airless downloads, probably, you know, sign back then. And now you go on, do you go to college? What do you do after high school? And walk us through the transition from your childhood through the, your, you know, a now adult life in your 20s and 30s and, and when sickness eventually becomes a part of the picture. Oh man. Well, now that I'm getting older, it's like this, this story gets longer and longer. It was a lot easier to tell when I was like 20. Now I'm 40, almost 43. Uh, so going through um, school years, I think pretty, pretty average. I was pretty freaking smart in my early years. Um, and I would, you know, go with the boys head on and I was, um, I would say ahead of ahead of the curve as far as you know fighting for feminism before I knew what feminism was, but um, and, and I could stand my own. And then I felt like that confidence kind of faded, and and then it was like I just wanted to be liked. I just wanted to be accepted, probably just like everybody else, right? Um, went to college at the University of Iowa. 
Um, and I, as I understand it, there are ticks there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, what I'm hearing from you though, Kendall, is when you say that you started to be impacted by people, right? So being a people pleaser is a really another common denominator we found on this podcast. So it sounds like you transitioned from being this happy-go-lucky kid who started to then transition into this worry wart of sorts, who cared mm -hmm. about what everybody felt about them. And you took mm -hmm. that on and that was maybe a change in your behavior. Is that accurate? Yeah, sort of. Um, I think I, there was like this duplicity to me, I think, um, part. And I kind of swing back and forth from time to time where I would try to fit in. And my friends in, at college would say, here, wear this, wear that and stuff I would never wear. Um, but it looked good and flattering and, you know, made me look like I I'm cool. <laughs> and so I would put it on and do it and, and try to, you know, be that, play that part of somebody who fits in. And then, okay, it's not really me. Like I have my own sort of sense of style and not that it's an intentional style. It's just, I like what I like. Um, but when I like what I like and I wear what I like, and then people look at me and go, oh, she's kind of weird. So it's like kind of, you know, the pendulum swings, right? Until you sort of settle somewhere in between. And I think it um, you know, just kind of tends to swing from time to time. But in my youth, <laughs> my younger years, I liked what I liked and didn't matter if anybody said anything. Like I really didn't care. Um, there wasn't, I wasn't trying to fit in with anything, but I just sort of did because people liked me because I was authentic probably. Um, but then as I got older and became more insecure about it, I thought, well, maybe I should, maybe I should wear something a little bit more like womanly <laughs> or something. And yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to, if you and Heather can, can talk about the, because it's hard. I think, I think the expectations for women are even greater than men to fit in and be normal and kind of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. So I think that pressure and that stress sounds like it really started to impact you and that can be immunosuppressive. And, you know, Heather and I talk often about how the, the emotional component can be a toxin and trigger dormant Lyme or be a toxin that, that really overflows your toxic bucket in your body that results in chronic illness. Right. So I'm curious, you know, do you think that all this now stress of trying to fit in and conform to these social norms where maybe an additional stress are added onto your body, potentially with Lyme disease from when you were maybe bit when you were younger with, with the bullseye rash and these things are starting to pile up and you didn't even know what was going on until it was too late to know. And you crashed with your health when you hit your early thirties. Dang, I think uh, you just saved my therapist a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, that, that, it, yes. Yeah, I think that that's probably accurate. Um, I guess I, I didn't think of myself wanting to fit in as like a, a, a large part of who I am or what I've been through. Um, it's, it's there, but it wasn't this... Um, overriding sense of my life it didn't stress me out that much um but maybe it did I, I don't know I mean my dad I lost my dad when I was ooh, uh 11 years old two days before I turned 12 yeah he committed suicide so so that was another piece of it too that um kind of triggers this like am I good enough um and so maybe that maybe there was some 
some stress related to that that I subconsciously was carrying with me? Yeah. Yeah, it's trauma definitely for me has been, um, well, unresolved trauma. Um, my inability to like look at it um, has definitely created a lot of um, my physical symptoms. I, I'm sure of that. And I'm curious, um, you know, did you ever give yourself, and I know you were younger, but um, were you able to go to therapy or find a way to process any of that grief? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, um, I mean, my mom, my gosh, my mom, love my mom, my biggest advocate. So she put me in therapy. I think I started when I was about seven. Um, cause my, my parents, um, their marriage is pretty explosive <laughs> and, um, there was a lot of emotional trauma, I think brought on from my dad who was clearly, you know, going through something. And so she, my mom put me into therapy, multiple therapists. Oh my gosh. When I was seven years old, I had, um, nightmares, like awful nightmares. And I would wake up and I was paralyzed. And so I'd have to army crawl to my mom's bed because I couldn't move from the waist down. Um, and so that was my mom's okay enough. <laughs> like let's seek out some therapy. Um, so I mean, I've been going to therapy off and on throughout the years and it seems like, you know, there's always that recurring theme, but how we tackle it is different because what we're going through currently and how it relates is different. Um, so there are times when I feel like, uh, was it resolved? Well, no, because it's, it affects my life as I grow. There's, there's different impacts from it, but, um, there are certain things that I was able to say, okay, let's close that chapter and move on. Um, so, and then there, and then there's also the piece I think early on where I didn't understand therapy. Like, why am I going, why am I doing this? And, and the other piece of, just wanting to please adults specifically. And okay, so I'm going to say all the right things in therapy and I'm going to, you know, be a good kid and I'm going to say what I'm supposed to so that they like me. So there's um, that people pleaser thing again, when you were a kid, when we didn't think it was really there, right? So maybe there were some traces of that throughout. I think there's, yeah, I, I think so. When um, when you have like that extrinsic motivation and then it, we teach people, we teach our kids to search for that and to get the gold star and to get the cookies and, and the praise. And, um, but then it can, it can tip and go into an unhealthy place, I think. So. Yeah. Thank you. I know at times it can be hard to even like share something like that. So I just want to say thank you for your vulnerability. And, Thank you. and for sharing that. So Kendall, walk us through what it was like transitioning from a child to an adult, because we know from your pre-interview questionnaire that you're a nurse, you have a degree, a bachelor's degree in science in nursing, and you're a registered nurse. And we know also throughout there somewhere, you were on MTV as a reality star. 
So you have a really interesting transition to adulthood, you know, so talk us through what happened first, the nursing, the school, the MTV stuff, and kind of walk us through that. And if health and illness were a part of any of that, those experiences and, and eventually when health became a problem for you. Yeah. So went to University of Iowa and I was a theater major there um, and decided to explore a little bit and became a wild child and <laughs> sort of ventured into alcohol and drugs and um, experimental and social and um, kind of hit the brakes for a moment and thought, wait a minute, am I, do I want to be an actress? If so, is a degree going to get me a job? Well, no, not necessarily. So um, decided that, you know, it was kind of in a weird spot anyway. So maybe it was time to just kind of park it for a minute. Um, followed my good friend to Chicago and um, was going to go back to school there. However, 9-11 kind of changed all of our plans. So, um, and, and, you know, with 9-11 too, it made everybody stop and think, I, I feel like, you know, what's important in your life? And everybody just kind of hit pause, you know, from, from people to airplanes, everything just sort of stopped. So in that, in that moment of just frozen time, I thought, you know, it's time, it, it's time to make some moves. <laughs> this, you get one life, what are you going to do with it? And at that point, um, MTV had come through and Chicago area and they were doing auditions for real world and road rules. So I hopped in line for that. Um, it was happened to be at the bar I was working at. And so I kind of skipped out on my shift <laughs> with my manager's approval. Actually, he told me to do it and, and got on the show. So left Chicago, um, joined an RV with six other, six other people, five other people and traveled the country, um, Southern United States in an RV, jumping off of things and eating gross things and winning money. Was that a reality yeah. show that you were on? So the art, that yes. was an actual, what's the name of the show? Um, road Rules. Oh, so you were on Road Rules. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that that really was my college. Um, so then so we started out in, uh, let's see, North Carolina and went south uh, along through Texas, Alabama, ended up over in San Luis Obispo, California. And once there, I thought, oh, this is nice. Maybe I should stay here. So I went home briefly to Washington and then went back and moved to L.A. for about four years um, and kind of gave it my shot um, in the acting world. I didn't really love L.A. and that, again, it's like you're trying to fit in, right? <laughs> so you're going to auditions and you want them to like you. <laughs> and so it became um, not necessarily the best headspace for me. Um, led to more drugs, um, lots of drugs. And, and, and 
finally had to hit the brakes on that. What am I doing? There's like multiple checkpoints throughout my life where I stop and go, what is going on? And that was one of them. Um, I was able to, after multiple attempts, um, find a way to be totally clean and, uh, Kendall, give us context. How, how old were you? So you were you were yeah. in college. I just want to recap. You were in college in in Chicago. Mm-hmm. The MTV comes through for real world, real world, and road rules. You get on, right? You win, and you go on road rules from North Carolina to Texas to Alabama to California. Could have picked up a wide variety of ticks and a wide variety of tick-borne illnesses. I'm just saying as a side note, right? Then right. you land in LA, where now you're trying to make a career out of acting. And mm-hmm. you're kind of commingling life with drugs. So you never finished your college degree, right? You never finished at that point? At that point, no. Mm-mm. Okay. And now you finally, you, you know, you realize that this is becoming a problem and you get yourself clean. How old are you at this point when you're, you're, you're realizing that this is an issue, you're in LA and you get clean? Mm-hmm. So that was, I was in my twenties. So I think uh, when I was finally out of all of that, it was 2005. So 25. Okay. And, and Kendall, I'm I'm just curious. Do you think that um, the drugs may have had something to do with any amount? Were you in pain? Did, were you starting to feel sick? Maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't want to blame you know one or the other. Or yeah, uh, I'm just curious. I, like maybe I, you were numbing. Yeah. I think there's um, there's a couple. A couple things, um, maybe a perfect storm, really. I'm a very curious person and adventurous, and I like to, you know, explore. Let's do it. Um, but also, there is this element of social anxiety, and, and sometimes it gets really bad. And then sometimes, like in, when I'm in a good, nice, healthy place, <laughs> I can keep it at bay. Um, and so, being in that environment too, with all of these people who are just, you know, gorgeous and, and feeling like, I don't know, I'm somehow here. I'm supposed I'm expected to do something, but I don't look like everybody else. I don't feel like everybody else. And so I don't know, just, um, self-medicating in that way to help make me relax, um, and become, outwardly the person I feel on the inside, if that makes sense. Like it just sort of helped. Um, Therapists also thinks (laughs) that there's the undiagnosed um, ADHD and psychiatrists. Okay. So they believe that I was self-medicating for ADHD. And the ADHD, I wonder, is actually (laughs) chronic Lyme. Yeah. When do you think that wow. you got it though? Right. Because, you know, oh, I guess I should, I should backtrack. What, when did you get the bullseye? How old are you? when you mentioned the bullseye rash earlier. I forgot to ask that question. Um, so that happened, I was in elementary school and I couldn't even tell you what year. Um, I'm, I would assume, I know I was in our old house, so it must've been probably somewhere between second and fourth grade. So eight, nine, 10, somewhere in there. Yeah. And, uh, so it sounds like if you had a bullseye rash, you probably contracted Lyme, maybe picked up more tick-borne illnesses throughout your life and your body was managing it and trying to keep it at bay. And, and the, the more life came at you and the more 
you you sort of had this imposter syndrome, right? Which is very common in the Lyme community. Also, you're you're this beautiful actress in LA, and you feel like you don't belong, but you do, right? So you're having these conflicting emotions, mm-hmm. and all of that's immunosuppressive. All those emotions are are you know allowing your body to not operate in a way that it should. So I just feel like there's a lot of parallels here, right? Allie Hilfiger went through a very similar experience. So we interviewed her. She said how she went on to this reality show. So she did with, uh, I believe it was Paris Hilton. And after the reality show, it was just extremely stressful because it was it was the most difficult time in her life. And that's when she crashed and had her psychosis and ended up in a psych ward. And that led to her diagnosis with Lyme disease. So I'm seeing a kind of overlap here where here you are on a reality TV show on MTV. And there she was, Ellie Hilfiger on a reality TV show. And afterwards, you're trying to now move on with life, but yet it's just, it's becoming a problem. Life's kicking you in the ass, right? So mm-hmm. uh, walk us through, you know, what's going on next. And are you seeing doctors once you get clean and mm-hmm. your health really isn't improving, right? So well, I should even say your health, your, your mental health probably wasn't improving at that point, right? Um, you know, I think there was a few months where I actually felt really good. And like, I had gotten to a place where, I felt most like myself um, doing yoga. I discovered yoga, free yoga in the park <laughs> in LA and rock climbing. And, and I just I felt super connected to nature, which is like, that is my, my touches my soul, um, gives me life. So things are going well there. Um, and then maybe, oh gosh, maybe like six months after. Um, I had a surprise and became pregnant. And (laughs) it's another one of those moments where you go, what, what am I doing with my life? Let me redo everything all over again, because do I really want to raise a child in LA? No, no, because I'm working in a bar more than I'm working on set. (laughs) So that's not where I want to raise my child. So kind of um, had to rethink everything. So I moved home and no, at that point, not in a healthy mental state at all, because that is not what I planned. I wanted kids. I wanted lots of kids, but I wanted my life planned out first so that when they got here, everything would be great. Um, I didn't want to be trying to figure my life out while I'm raising children. So, um, but this is about yeah. the, the time you're 26, right? So you move back to Washington state to your home. And now let me ask what, and I, I don't mean to get too personal, but the father, did the father, was he still in the picture? Did he move with you? Is, is you know, how, how did oh, that play no. out? Oh no, no. He, um, men are funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. he said, uh, somehow it's pretty amazing. Actually. I got myself pregnant. Um, is what he, That's said. What he told you, he told you, yeah. you got yourself pregnant. I got myself pregnant. That was another big stressor and trying to figure out, you know, this is my first child and I want to do the best thing I can. The, the light shining through your candle is so obvious and where you are today. And I just want to point it out because you are a very, very just beautiful person. Yeah. So, so now talk us through about your, you're in Washington. Are you back with your parents? Are you trying Uh to make it on your own? And what's life like there? You're, you're 25, I'm sorry, about 26 now. What's going on? You know, how are you, how are you providing for your child? How is your physical health? And what's life like for the first couple of years of, of being a mom, right? 
It was um, definitely a humbling experience to go from, you know, being on TV and then you walk to a bar and they you pass the line and they let you in and you've got passes and you've got a VIP section and you've got, you know, it's like you, you feel important for a little bit, even though it's just a TV show, people treat you like you're royalty for a minute. And then, um, and then you get dropped <laughs> and then to go from that to, to moving back in with my parents and um, and not having a job and who's going to hire you when you're pregnant? <laughs> I mean, they're not supposed to discriminate, sure, but who's going to hire you? So um, that was a problem. I did eventually. Um, acquire jobs. <laughs> so I worked in a daycare first. And then um, when my son was born, I, I picked up a couple more. I think at one point I had three jobs um, overlapping, of course. There was like one was coming on as the other one was leaving. But I worked two jobs for a while um, as a single mom. And um, on food stamps. <laughs> it was just like how quickly things can change, you know, spending so much money on an apartment in Chicago and LA and just living the life. And, and then bam, you're, uh, yeah, on food stamps. So it, uh, definitely was a humbling experience. However, um, I will scream it until I'm dead that my son, although unexpected, he saved me. I mean, I, there were times, even pregnant, where the thought of using drugs would like come through my brain. And um, not that I was going to act on it in that moment, but just, you know, it, there was that impulse or the dreams and, and everything that stopped me was my son. And so I really, really feel my heart of hearts that if he had not come into my life, um, I don't know. I don't know where I would be. There were times when I thought I would, I would die um, from the drugs that I was doing. And I had, and I had succumbed to that even and just accepted that as my fate. So to have this um, another chance was, uh, was yeah for my son, who is unexpected, unexpected gift that just keeps giving and giving. So, um, sorry, got off on a tangent there. Um, no need to apologize. No, that that's, that's beautiful. I mean, now you're, you know, I guess I want to ask what, what's your son's name? Um, Asa. Asa. So Asa comes in and he's a blessing in disguise because right off the bat, it's like a very stressful situation with the father but then he ends up saving your life right right away, it sounds like. And now he's been, he's continued to be a blessing to you throughout your life. So walk us through as Ace is getting older and now you're getting into your late 20s and early 30s, how things are progressing and the stress in your life is either getting, you know, is growing or being alleviated up until the point of when you're 34, which we know from your pre-interview questionnaire is when you finally started to know, hey, I'm sick. Physically, there's something wrong with me here, right? We kind of want to see that transition from from Ace's birth through the point of, of your sickness kicking in around 34? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, I mean, I, I kind of wonder, I don't know for sure with Lyme, but um, it seems that pregnancy can trigger lots of, lots of things. <laughs> um, and there are signs, I think, when I was pregnant with Asa, um, where I was like falling asleep while walking. <laughs> I would just like, 
I don't know, I would just like fall asleep. I wouldn't fall to the ground, but I was just, it was like I black out for a second. I'm like, I think I just slept <laughs> and it was just bizarre. And, um, and then it got even uh, weirder with my, um, second pregnancy. So, so fast forward, um, my son Asa, I would take him to the gym with me and, and try to work off the baby weight. And I met my now husband, who was a personal trainer at the gym. I had no intentions of meeting anybody. Um, it's kind of over men at that point, but my aunt, um, came with me to the gym and she saw Adam, my husband, and she goes, Oh, hi, this is Kendall. I was like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? (laughs) And he goes, hi. And I guess he had heard that I was on the show and he looks at me and goes, I thought you'd be taller. (laughs) And so that was the very first thing my husband ever said to me. How tall are you? We got to ask now. (laughs) I'm five, three. (laughs) <laughs> and he's oh gosh is he six feet or six one um and so it's like you know I don't know kind of lit up when he said hi and then I thought you'd be taller I was like oh okay all right this is embarrassing um so yeah and then we we started dating and a lot of our dates were actually just in the car driving my son around because he could not fall asleep on his own. And so I would have to drive him to get him to fall asleep. And so we would go for long drives and just me and my husband just getting to know each other, driving around, baby in the back seat until he was asleep. Yes. And then drop him off and I'd go home (laughs) and that was it. So, and we had normal dates too, but those were my favorite, I think, just driving around. Um, And, uh, yeah, we went, um, moved in together and it was sort of an expedited, like we had to, I needed to know like if he was serious or not, because I have a child to look out for and I'm not, I'm not playing around anymore. <laughs> like either you're in or you're out. And I think I broke it off with him a couple of times. So just thought, yeah, he's not, he's, he's younger than me. Um, only by a year and a half, but still in my mind, I thought he was a baby and he wouldn't be ready. But being, you know, 25, let's say in Washington, um, is, is like being 30 in LA. (laughs) And so I was used to the LA age where I thought 20, he's 25. He's a baby because me at 25, I was doing drugs (laughs) and, and he's, you know, buying a house and Mr. Committed. So, um, I kind of panicked there a, a little bit, but he proved to be um, everything he said he was and proposed to me in France. Um, we did lots of, well, we tried to do lots of traveling and proposed to me in France. And we were married a year later when my son was, I think he was four at that point. He was four years old. And then um, my husband adopted him at age five. And then we had another baby. (laughs) And at that point, I went back to school. Um, Actually, no, I went back to school, started going back to school for my nursing prerequisites when my son, my oldest, was six months old. So with the three jobs, (laughs) I went back to school. Um, 
I was exhausted. And, and so then I had my um, nursing degree, associate's degree in nursing. Um, that's what it was. I can't, uh, no, no, no. It was my LPN. That's what I got first. My LPN degree, licensed practical nurse degree. Um, and then I went and got my associate's degree in nursing and had a baby. So I had kids in between all my degrees <laughs> and, um, had, had a, let's see, I got married in nursing school. Um, took a final on Friday. No, got married on a Friday, had a final on Monday and same kind of thing with my second child. I think I had a final on, on Friday and then I had a baby on Sunday and then I went back to school. I think I took one day off and then went back to class the day after that. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, but I think when you're just go, 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 cause you have to, you, it's easier to maintain than when you stop and start over. Um, then went back to school again for another degree and, um, and had my third baby. So got three kids, um, and I guess three certificates, my LPN, RN, and then my BSN. Um, Wow. What a life. I mean, I'm just sitting here in awe thinking about everything you've done in your life already. I mean, it's it's more than you've done. You've done probably what three people have done in a lifetime in your short life so far already, Kendall. So it's it's honorable, right? I mean, to, to hear all that. So, you know, walk us through now. You're, you have your three children, beautiful children. You have your RN and, you know, you have a BSN. Are you working in the nursing field? You know, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm really curious to see when when the sickness kicks in at what point, you know, of, of your life yeah. and your motherhood when that when the, that eventually rears its ugly head. Yeah. So I'd have to rewind a little bit and go. Um, I felt like. Um, gosh, in nursing school. Um, and this is where I think the ADHD would make sense for me. Um, because if it was uh, like heightened emotions, right? So I've got this baby at home and it's kind of do or die. Like I, and when the stakes are high, I can focus. <laughs> and so um, I was uh, almost failing out of University of Iowa before, um, which I also think that it's way too cold in the winter to go to school in Iowa. And nobody else really understood that, but I felt like we should be sleeping in our beds where it's warm instead of walking to school in three feet of snow. But anyway, um, going back and as an adult to go to school and feeling like the stakes are higher and, um, you know, I need to, to get a job that, um, will provide a life for my child. So I went from almost failing out of school in Iowa to um, like Dean's list. <laughs> like, I mean, I did really well um, in my nursing classes. And, um, and then I started to get mad actually, because I felt like I was smart in my younger years and then was kind of told like, oh, girls aren't good at math and science. I thought, oh, well, I guess I'm not good at math and science and just sort of 
didn't try. Um, but I found out I was really good at science. Yeah, I found out that I was good at, at sciences and I didn't didn't think that I was. Oh gosh, um, started working. Felt like I was doing really well in my nursing career starting off. Um, and then it was my second pregnancy where I felt like, you know, the baby brain was real. Um, and then it, it started to seem like I would hit periods where things just didn't make sense, where I, I knew people were talking to me, but it just was not computing. Um, yeah. And it brought me back to this a time in elementary school where um you know, you do the testing and, and my, all of my test scores were really high, except for comprehension, comprehension. I was lower and I could read with inflection and I could convince you that I know exactly what I am reading, but you <laughs> asked me what I just read and I could not tell you. <laughs> and yeah. so it felt like that all over again. I just kept thinking there's something, something's not right. Um, and so this must've been 20, Oh gosh, uh, my son was born 2013. So 2012 is when I started feeling like my first pregnancy wasn't like this, but everybody says yeah. all pregnancies are different. Yeah. So um, do you have kids? <laughs> I don't, I don't have kids. No. <laughs> um, but so how old were you when you received the Lyme diagnosis and was it after your third pregnancy or in the midst of um the second oh no so the so that let's see second was 2000 he was born 2013 my third was 2016 and that's when I really started to feel like physically I can't ignore it anymore um like where I was driving and all of a sudden, like my head just tilted. I couldn't lift my head. <laughs> and so I'm driving like this and I've got my kids in the backseat and I'm like telling my, my head to straighten up and it, and it won't. <laughs> and I was driving like that for a good 20 seconds and like, okay. Um, at least the rest of me was still working, but for some reason I couldn't lift my head. So that scared me when I have, you know, an event with my kids in the car um, doesn't matter how busy I am. I need to find a way to, um, prioritize this. So that was actually, no, that was after my second. So to, yeah, maybe 2014, 15, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. And then multiple, multiple things and dizziness and, um, and episodes where I would like kind of black out for a second and, I remember coming to and I'm at Pike Place Market in Seattle and walking around with a friend and things go black. And then I come to and this woman in the store is looking at me and she goes, are you okay? I was like, uh-huh. Yep. Yep. I'm fine. And I'm looking around like, how did I get here? Like, I don't even know where I am. I don't know how I got in here. I knew we were walking around the market. I don't recognize this store. And my friend comes in the door and goes, oh, there you are. <laughs> and he's like, let's go. I was like, okay. And then we left it and it, it spooked me where I thought, I don't know what happened. I don't know how long I was like 
gone for. Um, and then trying to explain that to a doctor is <laughs> really challenging. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's been, uh, took me a very, very long time, probably not as long as many other people um, to get a diagnosis. But, you know, when you are told that you are hypochondriac or overdramatic or whatever with injuries and ailments your whole life, um, you start to ignore them yeah. and you get used to ignoring them. And until people are saying, why aren't you addressing this? This is a problem. And, and if the other people are recognizing it, then you know that it's a big deal because before you were blowing things out of proportion and now, you know, I don't know. So, um, Lyme diagnosis didn't come until maybe a year ago. Okay. Wow. And, and how many different doctors did you have to see to <laughs> finally get that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> And this is where it's still all very new for me, um, just trying to figure out, you know, what's the EDS, what's the Bartonella, what's the Borrelia, what's the Babesia, what, like, I, I'm still, I don't know what's what, what's the dysautonomia, is the dysautonomia actually the Lyme, because that's what I think, um, I think probably long COVID is also Lyme, but um I digress. Um, so I, uh, yeah, um, I saw, oh man, who did I go to first? Um, at my primary care nurse practitioner was probably the first person that I felt like listened to me. Um, and not, anything to do with the diagnoses that I have now, but just somebody that said, yeah, something funny is going on. And then she retired. <laughs> I was like, oh. no, no. I thought, okay, I'm going to find another nurse practitioner because I love nurse practitioners. Found another one. Um, and there was another, uh, just pains that I was having. And so she sent me to physical therapy, which I thought was bizarre because I mean, I, I'm active. I do yoga. Why don't I need physical therapy? But my goodness, it worked. Um, loved her. And then she moved to Alaska. <laughs> so I thought, ah. and meanwhile, I had seen, let's see, cardiology, neurology, um, that might be it for me. It's my son that has seen other ologists that I had no idea were a thing. Um, yeah. And it seemed anytime I would go somewhere with whatever symptom, and then there was always something off, but nothing severe. And so they go, Oh, you're fine. I'm like, but, but I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not. And, Oh, you know, it, it's, your heart may have a, the valves are doing whatever they're doing, but it's fine. You're asymptomatic. I mean, really? Because the fatigue is real. So it couldn't that be related. Um, and that's right. what I kept getting is you're asymptomatic, but I'm here for symptoms. You ordered the test because of my symptoms, 
the test came back abnormal, but now you're saying I don't have symptoms. So kind of get right caught in this loop. Um, yeah. So were, were you misdiagnosed or did they try to give you a diagnosis without, um, you know, blood work to match for, um, for Lyme? Just, or for, no, just, uh, you know, a misdiagnosis before everything. Yeah. I, I think most of the time it's just sort of, oh, well, <laughs> we don't know, you know, and then it's like the way that our healthcare system is right now, you are, you have to be your own case manager, right? And so if you have an issue, you go to the doctor, they may refer you to somewhere else. Um, and then you go see them, they order their test for whatever organ it is that they are in charge of. Test comes back negative or suspicious, um, like GI, for example. And, and then they go, hmm, that's curious. And then nothing ever happens. <laughs> so, um, so it, 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 I guess the results get sent back to the primary care doctor. I had a new doctor at this point not my favorite. And, um, and it seemed like everything kind of kept coming back to him. He would refer me out, um, with a lecture. It was, a you know, you're fine. Look at you. You're healthy. You're in good shape. You're like, just because I work out and my weight is appropriate doesn't mean that everything is working the way that it should. Um, I'm telling you, I feel different than I used to. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm tired. I'm fatigued. Like fatigue is real. <laughs> and they go, Oh, you're a mom of three kids. That's just what happens, you know? And, and so a lot of it, you can jump on board and say, okay, I guess so. I guess every mom I know is, is, is tired. That's true. Um, but it is different when you're tired and you're, you still get up and get out of bed versus crawling from bed to the bathroom and feeling short of breath and going, oh my God, can I stand up? I don't know. And pulling yourself up and, and you know, you pull it together and you, you keep moving. Um, but then you explain it to your doctor and you go, oh, like that's a little dramatic, you know? And it's like, I'm not... I'm not making this up. Like I, I had to, I had to crawl because if I stood up, I would have passed out. And, um, so yeah, so you, you get a lot of runaround, a lot of dismissal and, um, doctor was really frustrating when he would say, you know, you've had like a million dollar workup. I mean, you've had a lot of tests done and we're not really finding anything. So, um, you know, I think you just kind of have to live with what you're feeling. <laughs> it's like, almost felt like he was trying to shame me. Like I, how dare I like spend this much money trying to figure out what is wrong with me? Like I'm not worth it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really upsetting. Um, and meanwhile, I, uh, yeah, started losing my hair. That's a whole other thing, but um yeah, no, I'm gonna get really like choked up. But um yeah, yeah, lots of and my cardiologist, he he was helpful in that he believed something was happening 
um, couldn't identify it from a cardiology standpoint other than um, we did a Holter monitor and looking for PVCs and no PVCs. I had PACs. PACs are not harmful. Um, you, know, you might have a few here and there. Um, I, I had 2000 in 24 hours and, and the doctor was like, that's quite a bit. <laughs> um, but does it explain anything? No, it's abnormal. Sure. Is it causing my symptoms? Probably not. So, um, you know, and I'd explain, I, I would get lightheaded or dizzy and, um, it's probably not the PACs. So what is it? And then, well, you know, you're a small person. You don't have a lot of extra blood flow. You got to uh, drink lots of water. You got to have some salt. And then he stops and he goes, dysautonomia. So, some doctors believe it. Some doctors don't. It's sort of an emerging thing. Um, there's a specialist in Washington somewhere near Seattle. You should look him up. I think that's what you have, dysautonomia. And he's like kind of proud of himself for like putting it together. Um, he's like, but I don't, I don't do anything. I don't know what to do with it. You have to go see the specialist. And I was like, okay. And I'm a mom of three kids in school and all this. And like, yeah, I mean, I, in working and who has time for that? <laughs> so when things are bad, yes, I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to do it. But then you have these periods where it's like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm going to pass out now. And I haven't for a little bit. So I'm good. Why am I going to put myself through all of that? Um, when I feel fine right now and go to some doctor, who's going to look at me like I'm nuts and tell me like how I've just wasted his time and money our money. Um, and, and, and walk out with no more answers than what I went in with. So, you know, you kind of get discouraged and um, delay care because you don't want to put yourself through that unless, unless you're desperate. So, um, so there were a lot of things that were undiagnosed, um, not necessarily misdiagnosed other than... <laughs> Um, I love it when they say, oh, you have anxiety. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, if you knew something was wrong with you and nobody was listening to you and you're going to the experts for help and you are paying them and you are begging for answers and they look at you and go, Oh yeah, you're just uh, you know, you're just overreacting. <laughs> like, wouldn't that make you anxious? And so, yeah, oh, it drives me yeah. nuts when there was no official diagnosis of anxiety on my chart, but yet doctors would come through and say, "Oh, it's anxiety, anxiety." Um. Like this GI doctor, I had, I still have trouble swallowing. I don't know if that's one of those things or what, but um, it's uh, certain foods I figured out that I just avoid, stay away from certain foods. Um, but when they did my scope, they didn't see, according to this doctor, 
it looks fine. Well, I looked at the notes and they did dilate my esophagus. Like, I guess it was narrowing or something. And um, he thought that was unnecessary. It helped um, temporarily, but he's decided that my swallow issues were related to anxiety. I'm <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not anxious. Kendall, I'm going to jump in and Heather will continue on because I've been talking way too much, but I just want to share with you that you're not alone in that. Our good friend, Ali Moresco and many others on this podcast have shared with us that they have had issues swallowing as well. And many of them have had that procedure to expand their yeah. esophagus and reported the same results so that it helped temporarily, but then it yeah. went back to the way it was. And these right. are, these are things that seem so wacky. But these yes. are common traits over 350 podcast episodes that we're seeing in Lyme patients, right? The really? difficulty swallowing, uh, these these cognitive impairments, all these things you're describing, the the POTS and you know all these POTS symptoms. You know, people get labeled these buckets and don't get help, but they're all signs and clues that we see as patterns around tick-borne illness and Lyme disease and many of these other co-infections like Bartonella and Babesia and and other other ones that you mentioned that you have as well. So I know we're going to get to that, but um, I just wanted to interrupt and I'm apologizing to Heather because I didn't want to interrupt on her, her time, but I just wanted to share that with you, that this is more common than people think that are listening to these types of symptoms. Thank you for that. Because I, I mean, I have no idea. And my youngest son has the same thing and they've endoscopy, they've biopsied, they, nobody can find anything. And I mean, then we go to speech therapist and he eats and drinks fine in front of them <laughs> and everybody's like oh mom you know what is it you do and I'm like oh I'm I'm a hospice nurse and they all go oh that's it you know I see so you've seen the worst of things and so then they all assume that I just go to worst case scenarios because I I deal with people who are dying like I that makes me sound like I'm afraid of people dying. I'm actually quite comfortable with people dying, but that, that doesn't fit the narrative that I have anxiety. So, um, they decide that it's all related to anxiety, but the thing is when these swallow issues, when it, it occurs, I know how to work with it. I know how to open my throat and pause and what to do to get things to go down. I'm not freaking out about it. I've been dealing with this for a long time. I, I, I wasn't rushing to GI because I'm freaking out. I'm going to GI because I told my doctor about it and he didn't know what it was. And he sent me to GI. <laughs> I'm coping with it. I'm dealing with it just fine. I'm not anxious about it. But that was his diagnosis. So, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's very frustrating to hear how many people that have Lyme have had to go through so many doctors claiming it's Lyme because the moment you do that, I mean, at least for me, I felt shame mm -hmm. and um, almost like I was, I left almost convincing myself that, yeah, maybe it is just anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I guess if it's anxiety, I'm doing this to myself and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it, that's not okay. And mm -hmm. to like, hear you share that is, um, it like, I, it hurts my heart. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And it, um, 
same. <laughs> and when I hear other people with similar symptoms and especially like the fatigue, you can't go to work, right? If you are so fatigued. Mm-hmm. And so I know people who are, you know, their employment is questionable because of, because they can't work consistently. And it keeps saying, you know, I know a great doctor and you should go check them out. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm tired of, of dealing with doctors. I don't want to have one more person tell me I'm crazy. Like I get it. When you feel like you have to protect your own mental health from the doctors that are, you seek help from, I mean, it's, it's, it is heartbreaking. And this is what people deal with. So many people deal with on the daily. It'd be like going to your parents, you know, and your kid and, and you, and, and something's happening at school and you need help and you need help. And for them to say, Oh yeah, yeah, you're fine. You know, and it's like, you're turning to the people you're supposed to trust to help you with the issue that they're the expert in. And then they override everything that you, you know to be true. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's quite damaging. And it's especially hard when you're in the midst of it and, and you're foggy. And for me, it's almost like I didn't have the vocabulary to articulate what I was experiencing and feeling because I had no words to describe it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like, you know, you can relate to that. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> I would go from one extreme to the other, where I I started writing things down so that when I would go to my appointments, I would have it in front of me because otherwise I'd go in there and out comes the people pleaser. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Like, you're fine. Mm-hmm. What are you doing here? And then it's like, I would have to pep talk myself. Like you can do this. Like just tell him what the issue is. And then you've got a list of issues and it's like, Oh, I don't know if he can handle more than one issue. Like I should probably pick one or two, you know, because if you, if you'd say three, now you're crazy, but if it's one or two, that might be kind of normal. And, and then how do I word it in a way that is normal and, and doesn't sound like it's something so far-fetched and crazy because I know what I'm experiencing is bizarre. So how do I articulate that in a way where I have some credibility and it's hard when you're foggy headed or, um, or when somebody asks you a question and everything's blank. You ever had that? There's like nothing, N- nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more frequently than I would like to admit, <laughs> even in the day. <laughs> and it's like, and then you start panicking because then it's like, okay, I just answer, like say something because there's nothing in your brain, but you're a smart person, but there's nothing there. So how do you, and you can't tap into anything And so I just got used to saying like, yeah, I just, I, I don't have words for that. (laughs) I mean, that was the honest truth or, um, or I would clam up and, and just nod. "Mm -hmm, Yep. I'm I'm fine. I'm okay. 
yep, that makes sense. Sure. And like, just get me out of here. Um, or I, I found that if I wouldn't pause, if I pause, then the thoughts go and then things could go blank. If I keep talking, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, then there's still stuff like I can get it out. I, it, there, it's still connecting somehow. It might not be making a hundred percent sense, but it's, it, the channels are open because once the channels are closed, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to reopen. And so then um, it's like, I would either clam up and say nothing and have no thoughts, nothing, or go the other route and say everything. And, and then when you say everything, your credibility just goes. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to find that balance um, before doctor's appointments, I would have to write it down. Um, okay, let's pick a couple things to address and how, how do I address that? How am I going to explain that? And I would, and I would talk to my friend on the way to my appointment and okay. So I'm like getting nervous about talking to this doctor and, and then get the pep talk from the friends. (laughs) Yeah. So what doctor, um, finally gave you the diagnosis and what was that experience like? Hmm. Dr. Day, Dr. Courtney Day is a godsend. And I, um, I did a Google search. Can't remember what it was that prompted me. I mean, you know, you're constantly trying to find answers because the doctors aren't doing it. So, um, so you turn to Dr. Google and so I stumbled across Courtney Day and I thought, I don't know, naturopath, I don't know, seems kind of wacky. So um, I thought, I don't know that I really want to go that route. And so I kind of tucked it away. Um, but it was the only like biography that I had read online that like made sense um, and kind of said some of the things that I didn't have words for. Um, but when you see somebody's profile and it's like, doesn't work with insurance, like, oh man, I don't have money for that. So you, you hope that there's other doctors and um, other cheaper options. And so I, you know, continue to do all the workups and all the things and get all the tests and try, try, try to come up with anything and, and to even have my doctor say, I don't know why you need a diagnosis. Why do you feel like you need a diagnosis? Oh, it's so, so upsetting. Um, my skin has been like one of the biggest issues and skin, hair. And I said, well, for one, I'm taking collagen supplements because that's what the thing is now. People say you should take collagen supplements. What if I have a connective tissue disorder where taking this collagen supplements are actually detrimental, contraindicated? Wouldn't it be nice to know? <laughs> and he goes, hmm, all right. <laughs> or to have an action plan that will actually work. And to invest my money into treatments that are actually going to work, 
you yeah. Don't, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, and then I thought, like, why did why did you go to med school? Isn't that? I mean, that's really the difference between like his job and mine. He can diagnose. I can't. Like, if you don't want to diagnose people, go be a nurse. Like, we're not allowed to. So, like, I just didn't understand. Like, do you want to help? People? I don't. What do you do? Why are you here? And but yet, you know, I, I didn't know what other doctor to go to. And it, even though it was like harmful psychologically, um, he would still refer me out and he would give me grief. Um, but he would do it or I'd say, I want this test. And he's like, I don't see the need for that and make me feel like crap, but he would still order it. Um, so I thought, well, as long as he's doing what I need him to do, then I can deal with the rest. So, um, so a dermatologist and three different dermatologists and is there skin stuff related to um, Lyme disease to take. Yeah, we, we've heard a lot of people have a wide variety of symptoms and there is a subset of the Lyme community that has, that has skin issues. We had one guest come on this podcast and be very, very vulnerable and open where she described it as having holes in her face from the skin issues. So when she got sick with Lyme, she just started getting all of these skin issues on her face and even on her arms, where she was just, she described them as craters even. So, you know, this it presents very differently in some people. So, you know, it's, that is one presentation of Lyme disease. And I think people don't attribute dermatological issues with Lyme when in fact there's a connection there beyond just the traditional bullseye rash. So for sure, I think that's something that mm-hmm. we need better, better education on for, for the dermatology community and the general medical community. Yes. And my doctor, Dr. Day, um, it's the, oh gosh, is it the Martinella, I think? Um, it's the spire shots. So those are the ones that are real bad. Um, and that they are the ones that cause the skin issues. And, um, so yes, three different dermatologists all, you know, give me the, oh, you're cute pat on the head and kind of brush me off and make me feel like I'm crazy and doing it to myself. So, um, circled back as sort of a last ditch effort of going, okay, I'm just going to call this doctor and do the free consultation for 15 minutes. And I don't know, can't hurt. It's free. I learned more from her in this 15 minute, like conversation that I, I mean, I, I hung up the phone and I just started crying because she, she was giving me a voice um, and saying things that I didn't have words or explanations for. And where I would start to say, you know, is this, and then she would take whatever I said and go deeper with it. And she's like, yes, and this, and this, and then like the tears, it was like, just to be heard, just to be heard and, and validated that yes, what you're experiencing is real. Um, that in itself, even if, even if treatments never worked, just to have somebody say what you're experiencing is real. I understand it. I've seen it manifest in this way and this way and this way. And it sounds like you're going through this and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. (laughs) And I didn't make it up and I'm not overreacting. And if anything, I'm downplaying it. So that has been 
the greatest gift. I mean, I need to wrap this woman in bubble wrap and like pay for her car insurance and whatever it is, health insurance, whatever it is that I got to do to keep this woman um, alive and helping people is what I want to do. Cause I, she's been absolutely phenomenal, expensive, but phenomenal. (laughs) And, and not just a naturopath, but also uses, um, you know, Western medicine as well. She kind of blends everything together. Yeah. So Dr. Day diagnoses you and what, um, was this a blood test? Uh, what type of testing did she use? Yeah. So she did, um, she told me her suspicions and she's funny because she's really super smart. Um, and I believe she was, uh, gosh, some sort of like a microbiologist or something first. And so she really loves to know like the, where things originated. And so she's like, I have these ideas and these, this is the test I want to order. And you look and it's like, I mean, it could be close to $5,000 for all these tests. And she's like, but I know if my suspicions are correct, then this test will find it and this test and this test. And, um, even though this one's more expensive and it covers more, I can find it through the back door kind of thing. And so um, it was, I mean, she's great. And, and you can just see the wheels turning and how excited she gets when she knows like, you know, she's gonna figure out this puzzle. Um, and so, yeah, she ordered um, some tests. I couldn't even tell you which ones. There's a billion on that little bubble sheet from the iGene. X is that what it was called? I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, came back with the Bartonella, Borrelia, Babesia, and then some other things that were, um, you know, still within those realms, but different strain type stuff. And she had reasoning for why it's this and not that. And it's probably this and uh, above my head, but, um, but I thought it was interesting. I'm like, but the Western blot test back in, gosh, was it 2010 or 2012 or whatever it was, I was negative for Lyme. How could I be positive now? And um, of course she had lots of explanations to that. And so I'm excited just to have any sort of, you know, confirmation. I bring all my, my results to my doctor. Cause I want him to feel like crap <laughs> and like, but, but really like, I want to educate him and say like, so if somebody comes to him with all of these things in the future, he can say, Oh, I remember when I had that one patient and this is what she had. And so I'm like showing him like, I'm going to, I'm going to educate him. I'm going to help him. Like, cause he can, he has the power to help so many others or hurt them let's hope, let's help him help others. So I come in and he's like, yeah. And he's slipping through. He's like, yeah, this isn't, I mean, and, and he had his reasonings for this and that. And, and I said, wouldn't it make more sense that I would have Lyme disease when the test is positive and it, it answers all of the symptoms that I've been having, wouldn't it be more likely than I'm having these symptoms, but making them up in my head because I have a a false positive result. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But to him, it was more likely it's just a false positive. I'm like, okay, so I have these symptoms and a positive test. 
but the symptoms aren't real and and it's a false positive result. I mean, it just blew my mind. Um, and I thought, wow, and here I was believing whatever this guy said before, but now I know, now I know. So, um, yeah, yeah. Dr. Day, look her up, but don't take my time slots though, because <laughs> I, want her to be, I want her to get the business, sure, but don't squeeze me out because those are um, my lifeline. <laughs> and what treatments um, uh, did Dr. Day have you do? And if you're still being treated, what treatments currently? Oh, man, it has been evolving. Um, and, oh, gosh, just a... There goes the, the brain fog. It's like everything just stops. Boom. Um, eh, it, it, a revolving door of antibiotics, antifungals, some natural herbally type stuff, um, vitamins, supplements. I don't know, things like that, I guess. Um, and then, and then you throw in some like essential oils and things like that, which I always kind of just was like, okay. I mean, it's, it's fun. They smell good. Sure. I didn't really, I don't know, but every time I talk to her, she whips out like these studies off the top of her head and, and, and some doctor that she heard speak and, and says all this stuff. And I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. And then I try it and I'm like, oh my gosh, where has frankincense been my whole life? <laughs> like, no wonder they brought it to Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I mean, I, yeah, stuff I, I thought was kind of malarkey before. I'm like, I get it. And now my mind is just so open and actually wants me to learn more about other medicines and different cultures. And because we've been so narrow-minded in the United States and just sticking to Western medicine and whatever the CDC approves. Um, and I'm not knocking the CDC because I do think that we need to have some sort of common guidelines and structure. However, um, not everything fits in that. And so we can't, we can't exclude other options that may be a better fit. So, um, but anyway, yeah, makes me makes me more curious about other cultures and their remedies for things. Um, things that may have looked silly to me five years ago. I'm going, I bet they were onto something. <laughs> and has there been a treatment that has had that wow factor that just kind of you really started to see the light? <laughs> I think, um, hmm. I think, I mean, gosh, there's been a few things that probably the weirdest thing that I feel like I can't, oh no, there's two. Um, there's a nasal spray that she, um, Ar Argentin, I think, nasal spray. Are you familiar with that? Is that I the, guess it, um, is it silver? The yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Yes. Yeah. And so, cause he did a nasal swab and it came back with like mold or something. And, and she said, you know, it's possible that the mold is being picked up from the environment or whatever. It could be some sort of contamination. Um, cause I, I never had any congestion issues before or anything like that. Oh my gosh. After doing this whole, that and the bag spray, that's what it is. The bag spray. It's like a antibiotic antifungal something nasal spray did that for like four, six weeks. And then followed by the Argentin. I <coughs> had no idea, no idea that I, I believe I've been dealing with like congestion my entire life. Um, and I didn't think that I had because it was normal for me. And so after doing those two, um, sprays so a couple months, I guess I was like, I, I can breathe. I can smell. Like, I mean, it was just bizarre. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't even believe that. And especially cause that was one of the first things that she asked me is if I had any sort of congestion or sinus issues. And I'm like, no, not me. Yeah, Bill, can, I, can I jump in? I just want to share it with everybody listening. Cause I, I, how to Google these two things, right? So I just want to share it. It's BEG uh, nasal spray, right? BEG. Yes. And that's a, it's a nasal spray that are, what's really interesting is Lyme is known to form in biofilms. And the first thing you get when you Google it is it's a spray and it's an effective way to eradicate colonization of biofilm. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a combination of two antibiotics and it really does help dissolve biofilms and coatings. And the other thing you talked about was Argentin. And I believe that's A-R-G-E-N-T-Y-N nasal yes. spray, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a strong anti-infective used in treating a lot of things like Lyme disease as well. And that's another, I think, more of a natural tool used by people. But those are your two game changers where the BEG bag nasal spray and the Argentin nasal spray, it sounds like, right? Those are, yeah, two things that I think I, I, think, um, I could pinpoint it to. Um, that just sort of blew my mind. It didn't help with the, the fogginess, I don't think, but it just was, you know, it helped the symptom that I didn't even know I had until it was gone. Um, now of course I'm congested, but that's because of COVID. <laughs> well, you've come a long way because it's been less than a year, I think, right? You've been diagnosed. I think so. Uh, it's been, a, no, I think maybe a yeah, probably a year since I got my diagnosis, a little over a year since I started meeting with her. And in, so. in about a year, here you are, you get COVID and less than a week later, you're on this podcast and killing it, right? So I think it shows how much you've healed in the last year with Dr. Day. So I think that's a huge kudos to you, right? <laughs> um, Thank you. I could not have, I really could not have had this conversation, I think six months ago when we scheduled it. I thought I, I would have had too many moments of where my mind was blank. Yeah. And, and look, I think this worked out perfectly because for our listeners, we had this interview scheduled. I think it was six months ago, Kendall, right? And mm -hmm. just things came up, our schedules changed and we it got pushed till now. So I think, it, you know, timing has been perfect for, for this interview with our listeners. So talk us more about Dr. Day. Is there anything else that we missed? You talked about, you know, she used a wide variety of an antibiotics, antifungals, probiotics, antiparasitics, and, and, and I, I believe anti-malaria drugs. I can't speak now, but I believe you also tried methylene blue 
we I see from your pre-interview that's questionnaire. Talk to us about that. One. That's that was the other one um, where she, you know, sings its praises. And I was like, OK, whatever. I'm going to end up looking like the silver guy and I'm going to look like the, the blue guy. And because she said, you know, I, I have to warn you, it will turn your your secretions blue. Oh, my gosh. My husband has been trying to get like the, the toilet cleaned <laughs> because my urine is like blue and it immediately like stains the toilet. Oh my gosh. But, but I don't care. It's worth it. I feel better. And, and I didn't really know, um, you know, you don't know what's doing what I think, um, until I ran out of the methylene blue and I was like, man, why did I just felt like kind of crummy and I couldn't pinpoint it. And, um, I thought, Oh, maybe cause I ran out of that but I have to get it from far away and it was coming from Canada or it was coming from Florida or, um, and so now I'm definitely staying on top of that one because I notice a big difference when I'm not on it. I don't know if that's something that I'll be taking for the rest of my life. The goal is no. Um, she thought we would have been (laughs) farther along, I think, um, six months ago, but I'm pleased. I mean, I've been dealing with all of this for <clears throat> what, 10 years. <laughs> like, so for uh, treatment to take longer than she anticipates is still far, far less than, um, than I, than I had envisioned. I figured I would be just sort of numb and blank for the rest of my life. I, I didn't think that I would have as many moments of clarity. So yeah, I want to pose this question to people listening because I recently saw a new doctor and I love going to doctors and getting tests done just to see what my blood work is. So I found this doctor that came recommended that's very open-minded and more natural leaning and took insurance and did a ton of blood work and all kinds of tests and a full body examination. And one of the things he realized pretty quickly is, wow, you're you're pretty flexible. You know, have you heard of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? You know, it's very common with Lyme. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, I have. And Looking back as a kid, I told him, and I used the word, you know, I was the party trick, right? I would, you know, Matt, put your leg over your, you know, do this, do that, right? And you would do all kinds of things because your your joints and your tendons can really go and do things that most people can't. So from what I understand, and you probably know better, Kendall, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a genetic, is a genetic, we'll say, disorder that we were born with. And when that genetic expression is triggered on, coupled with Lyme disease, it affects the multiple, uh, the, the multiple connective tissue. It's really a multiple connective tissue disorder in your body. And that connective tissue is also impacted by Lyme. So I feel like we mm-hmm. see a lot of people in the chronic Lyme community having Lyme and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome because collectively together, it makes you even more sick, right? There are two things that mm-hmm. just sort of dog pile on. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we're, it sounds like you said you were flexible and sort of like that kind of person as well, like me. And now we're even having regular doctors like this rheumatologist I saw telling me, hey, EDS is very common with Lyme and together it makes it even worse, right? So it's not just, hey, I wanted to get you further along with your Lyme treatment, but you have all these other things, these other viruses, the other infections, the EDS kind of holding you back a little bit and you have to peel back those layers to return to health, right? And I think it's more of a mm-hmm. of a holistic and, and a whole body approach than just a kill the Lyme. And that's that's really what you're working on, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was really frustrated trying to get that diagnosis too. Um, and I think on average, it takes people about 10 years to get diagnosed with EDS. Um, so 
Yeah. And, and even still, so I've, um, I'm unclear as to what type, you know, there's 13 different types, I think. Um, but I have a genetic mutation for PLOD1 gene mutation, which I understand that to be associated with the kyphoscoliotic type, which is skin, <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> and also, um, like scoliosis, which I have. Um, according to the geneticist, though, it is not clinically expressed <laughs> because I only have one um, from one mutation from one parent and the other parent. It's totally normal. So because I only have one and not two strands affected, uh, it is not clinically expressed. My body, my symptoms, my physicality will say otherwise. Um, and that's where I get frustrated. But then you hear about how um, chronic Lyme can trigger things. It's so things that should not be clinically expressed suddenly are. And um, you hear that if you treat the Lyme, then kind of goes back to the way it's supposed to be not clinically expressed. So um, at least that's Dr. Day's goal is to treat the Lyme and then it would get rid of the symptoms of the kyphoscoliotic type of EDS, which I apparently don't have symptoms of. Kendall, I'm going to jump in. I just, just so everybody knows, I just messaged Heather and I said, I'm done talking. I promise you can finish it up from here. And of course I jump in because I have to, I apologize. <laughs> but Heather and I were just talking about this again also, because we love geeking out about this kind of stuff. And I couldn't agree more. And I <laughs> want to use myself as an example where uh, autoimmune runs in my family. My grandmother had lupus. My, you know, I ha I can name five people in my family who have autoimmune diseases from my, from my sister to my direct cousins, to my grandparents. And when I first got really sick, it triggered Lyme and a variety of other autoimmune diagnoses for me, which they said were genetic. And, and it was something I'd have to live with, but in treating Lyme, all of those levels have gone from off the charts back to negative. So I'm a firm believer, Kendall, that Lyme will trigger genetic expression. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really powerful, right? So I really believe that Lyme will trigger certain genetic expressions that we're predisposed to, whether it's autoimmune yeah. or whether it's EDS, right? And if you have autoimmune predispositions and you have EDS predispositions, like, like, you know, like us, it makes it even harder when we get hit with Lyme disease and tick-borne infections. However, if we start to address our bodies as a whole and get to the root cause, those genetics can be, I'll say, turned off. And I'm not a geneticist. So I might be using wrong terminology, but we've seen that in our guests it. and we've seen it in myself. And I know that's what we're seeing in you as well, Kendall. So I just want to, I want to just mm -hmm. give you some affirmations there that that is certainly what you're working on with Dr. Day. And it's really powerful to hear you explain this. So thank you. And I will shut up and Heather has it from here. <laughs> <laughs> with that, um, I mean, sort of related, I suppose. Um, the, my primary care doctor, um, in trying to figure out what it was that was going on with my skin issues, um, ended up running some hormone tests and suspected that my testosterone was really high, uh, came back. My testosterone was undetectably low and, um, and, you know, I'm, so I'm like, well, what does that mean? Dr. Google, since my doctor tells me nothing. And so then you learn about how that affects like your sex drive, how it affects uh, fatigue, how like all these different things that can be affected by low testosterone. And I asked my doctor, like, so what do we do about it? And he's like, oh, nothing. I'm like, nothing? <laughs> because I feel like this could explain some of my symptoms. And 
He's like, I mean, if you were a man, we would worry about your testosterone levels. But, you know, since you're a female, like we don't worry about testosterone. And I went home and I was stewing and I thought, I bet he would be worried about his wife's low testosterone if she wasn't wanting to have sex with him. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just like, oh, I just get so frustrated. It's like, it doesn't matter if it matters to you. What matters is if it matters to me and the patient who's coming to you for help. So anyway, um, so along with that, I had elevated liver enzymes and um, kept asking like, what is this from? Like, I, I don't drink anymore. I mean, periodically, sure, maybe four times a year, but I, I, there's absolutely no reason my liver enzymes to be elevated. Um, just didn't make sense to me. And, oh, it's fine. You know, they've been elevated for a little while. Uh, okay, but why? <laughs> and why aren't they coming down? If it was an acute thing and it should have been resolved by now, what is up? So then they go to Dr. Day. And Dr. Day suspects that maybe there's some parasites and probably in my liver. And she's going to prescribe... Um, medication. However, it's probably contraindicated because it's filtered through the liver and it can be known to raise your liver enzymes. Um, She goes, but I suspect (laughs) that if we treat um, the parasites in the liver that she suspects are there, that with this medication that is known to increase liver enzymes, that your liver enzymes will come down. And um, like, I sure, I mean, whatever she says, whatever she suggests, I'm doing that. And, and I don't care if it makes sense. The other doctor, I needed to understand everything. Her, no, I full trust. So take the medication. Um, next thing you know, go get my labs drawn and my liver enzymes have resolved. So I'm like, well, that's curious because they should have gone up with medication that's filtered through the liver, but yet here it is, you know, back to normal. And, and I just thought, I really want to go check my testosterone now because I feel like whatever she's doing, um, is sort of like putting my body back to the way that it once was. So, yeah. I get a Sending excited. all of the good energy to Dr. Day. I think I want to see her now. She's phenomenal. And, yeah. and she's a delight to talk to because she gets so like geeked out on, on things and um yeah, and, and new studies and and she's eager to try this and eager to try that. And um and it works. And then, and she really listens and, you know, what have you noticed with this? And what have you noticed with that? And, and there, for, for a people pleaser person, you know, I would want to, I would want to give the right answer. And, and with my doctor, you know, I felt like I had to word things in a way where he would accept it with her. It's like any answer is the right answer. And it's just, whatever I say is going to dictate where treatment goes from there. So if I'm experiencing, it's like a choose your own adventure book. Right. And so I say, this is what's what it's doing. And then, okay, we're going to go this route now. And so it's, it's my treatment plan changes every month. Um, I think there's only been a couple of times where we're like, okay, we're going to stay this course for another month. 
Um, and, and then where I feel like, I don't know, things are maybe slightly changed here or slightly changed there. Um, I think you just sort of get used to things. She'll switch it up. And then I try that for another week or two. I'm like, oh, wow, wow, this is really making a difference. <laughs> and, and it's just, you know, you kind of get used to like that next level of feeling better. You don't realize how bad you felt <laughs> until you kind of look back at things and put it all together because it's been this gradual progression um, of improvement. So, yeah. Yeah. And aside from the supplements and, and um, different prescriptions, have you found um, any modalities like sauna blanket or um, uh, like red light? Red light therapy, for sure. Um, I kind of get a two for one with that because I do I do hot yoga and love it. Um, and even though you go to the doctor and they'll say, oh, with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you shouldn't be doing yoga. It's really dangerous. And it's like, okay. And that's when I know that they don't really know what they're talking about because it's like the first page on like Google, <laughs> like, you know, don't do yoga, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. But really I'm not doing it to be flexible. I'm doing it to gain strength and then gain strength mm-hmm. because I'm stopping myself from going too far in that flexible you know, I have to stop myself short of where I would normally go and that's going to build my muscle. But anyway, so, um, go to yoga and do hot yoga and the sweating, just like getting rid of all that crap really helps, but they also have the infrared light <laughs> in the yoga studio. So they've got three different lights and I know exactly where they are. <laughs> and I'm like position myself in between the one where it's got two and, um, and then I lay there they do how I discovered like the frankincense stuff. Um, the yoga studio has these ice towels they give afterwards that are soaked in essential oils. And, um, it's just a relaxing thing that people get for me. It's healing. And so, I mean, once I sort of put things together of what it was in there, um, and then my, and Dr. Day was suggesting like essential oils kind of at the same time. And then, um, I would try to make the concoction at home, but it just wasn't quite right. Missing ingredient was frankincense. And Dr. Day was coming to me with like Dia something and frankincense, DMS or DM, I can't remember, some sort of gel or something with frankincense in it. And it's like when things when you start hearing the same thing from multiple sources, it's like confirmation that you're in the right direction. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so, so essential oils would be another, another one of those things. Um, funny though, with the, um, hot yoga, the detoxing and the, um, essential oils and the infrared, it's like all in one, one room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, it's, yeah this healing room um and not a bad place like mind so. body spirit yes yes all in one <laughs> yep so when my husband lost his job during COVID I was like we can get rid of lots of things that we are not getting rid of my yoga <laughs> so if I have to keep that small business alive myself like we are doing that because I, I need to go to that room um yeah, that, that has been, what, what other things 
five people tried. That's helpful. What did you say? A sauna blanket or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the infrared sauna. However, sometimes it's just not feasible for me to go somewhere to do that. So I have a sauna blanket. Um, so I was curious, what, if, but, what is but you, you do the hot yoga. So um, it's, it looks like a sleeping bag and it heats up. I have the one by higher dose. Uh, and I, yeah, I found that to be um, just really comforting on the days where I'm really not feeling well, or, you know, I don't have the energy or time to, you know, um, go somewhere. And is it so like, like for heat or for like light therapy? Like what is, uh, for heat? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, like an infrared sauna, but in like a sleeping bag blanket form. That sounds genius. Yeah. 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 It's, I think for me, it's just more just peaceful and comforting when I'm like reaching for something to just like give me some relief. Yeah. Do you find yourself getting really cold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. and if you like, you can't, like, I've tried to tell my husband, I'm like cold to my core. Like I can't warm up and, and I have to sit next to the fire and, and get the blankets and, and I'm like, I can warm up on the outside, but it doesn't, it just doesn't reach. And then you try and drink something hot and it's like, that doesn't reach. And so trying to come out, you know, try and get your temperature regulated from all these different ways. And then you're shivering. And then all of a sudden it's like, now it's too much and I'm going to pass out. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it yeah. goes from like, like, you know, you just, I don't know, you can't explain it. Like your bones are cold. Like you can't mm-hmm. heat, heat the bones. <laughs> and yeah, so he he tolerates it, and he does not do well in heat. <laughs> Compromise. <laughs> yeah, so I've got like forty blankets on my side, and <laughs> so you know, with where you're at today, what percentage better would you say um, you're at? Percentage? Um, oh gosh, I don't know. I. I feel like I, I, I don't know, I could give a number. I'm not, I'm not a very good numbers person, but I will say that um, I'm having much more moments of clarity. My moments of clarity have increased um, in quality and frequency. Whereas I felt like there were times when I couldn't remember the last, time I felt like I, I could have a clear thought, let alone articulate it, but just like have a thought that I felt like was complete and whole and meaningful. Um, I would have like lots of partial thoughts and my words, things would come out as partial thoughts and, um, or they would come out a ton of words without saying anything really. Um, and so I feel like the moments of clarity are happening more frequently and they're not, they're not moments anymore. Um, 
but periods. And then in, in the moments I have of like the brain fog and I mean, it's becoming a lot less frequent where there will be days when I'm like, oh, it's not going to be a good day. <laughs> like, I just, I just know I'm going to do a lot more listening today than I'm going to be doing speaking. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I just try to find the workaround with it. But before I, I, I wouldn't even be able to identify that as not a good day because that was just the way things were. Um, and then I would get nervous, you know, if uh, going to see a patient and, what if they have lots of questions for me? And I don't know, I know how to do my job. I don't know how to articulate it. And um, so I would, so that would cause anxiety. And then I would start to panic and oh gosh, get myself worked up, um, give myself pep talks. And I don't, I don't feel like I have to do that as much anymore. So I think for me, it's more the, frequency, the, the episodes are still there. Um, and multiple times throughout the day, sometimes, sometimes it's all day. Um, but most of the time I would say, I, I feel like I'm, I feel more like myself and, um, and confident in who I am and, and not really second guessing. There are things that I second guess. Sure. But um, overall, I just feel like, I don't know, I, I mean, more grounded and rooted in, in myself um, instead of feeling like I'm in somebody else's body, living somebody else's life. And how did I get here? And is this how I'm going to die? <laughs> Am I... Is this early dementia? Like, what am I going to be able to work? Am I going to be, you know, I just, I, do people know, am I, you know, feeling like that imposter syndrome? I feel like a fraud. I feel like people look at me like I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. And uh, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to feel like I'm getting my life back. Even though outwardly my life hasn't changed. I'm still a mom. I'm still a nurse. I still have all the same things. I still went back on to another reality show recently and, um, all of those, and that was really bad. I mean, that was like in the throes of, of, uh, that was pre-Dr. Day. So someday I'll go back for another one and we can do a, a pre and post Dr. Day. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. The glow up is going to be real. I will tell you that. <laughs> wow. Um, your answer, I, I got the chills. So, <laughs> and you've just like inspired me. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking of the throws, so what advice would you give to someone that is in the deep of you know, their Lyme disease or other tick-borne illnesses? Um, I guess I, uh, I'm like trying to, ah, I'm getting a little emotional. Um, it's so, it's so isolating, right? Like when you're going through this, it is so isolating because people don't understand. And then they accuse you of 
of making it up or, or whatever. Um, and so you learn to not share it and not share. And, and by not sharing what you're going through means you're not sharing a piece of, of yourself. You're not sharing who you are. You're not being true to yourself. And so in a way you are causing harm to yourself and, um, and by self-preservation kind of stop seeking treatment. Um, and so I would say, um, this, it, it doesn't have to be permanent and you are worth it. Be your own advocate. Don't accept no and keep going. And if somebody doesn't have what you need, if they're not giving you answers, if it, if they're giving you answers, but they don't make sense, um, find someone else and just keep going. And yeah, it might be another $30 copay, but when you, when you, when you find out what it is, um, that can help you, it's priceless. And, and to get that validation and to get, um, yourself back, uh, I don't know, that is just the greatest reward. I, I really didn't think that there would be a positive end and it's not over, but, um, but I just kept thinking like for my kids, I, I need answers and I, I need, I need answers. Um, not everybody has kids <laughs> and really I shouldn't need my kids to, to keep going, to try to take better care of myself. And so that's why I say, just re you are worth it. Don't let anybody tell you you're not, or that you're costing insurance too much money or, or whatever. You are worth it. You, you have one life and it's time to get it back. Thank you for listening to our Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Kendall Darnell. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Kendall, visit her Instagram at Kendall Shepard, K-E-N-D-A-L-S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Fight blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of almost 350 episodes, subscribe to our email list or share feedback please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you for listening.